I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the latest on the capital murder charges against three teenagers in the shooting death of a six-year-old of six-year-old Kingston Frazier. There will be several charges filed in this case. We want to, to press any and all charges against these individuals for this terrible, terrible crime. A Mississippi representative apologizes for comments he made on his Facebook page advocating the lynching of Louisiana officials removing Confederate monuments. And after our Mississippi StoryCorps segment, the College Board announces its preferred candidate to head Jackson State University. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Law enforcement officials are moving forward with their investigation into the shooting death of six-year-old Kingston Frazier. The kindergartner was found dead in the back of his mother's stolen car on Thursday, hours after the vehicle was stolen. All three Mississippi teenagers allegedly involved were charged with capital murder during their first court appearance on Monday. 19-year-old Byron McBride and 17-year-olds Dewan Wakefield and Allen Washington are being held without bond. The families of the victim and the three accused are trying to reckon with the news. Amos Archie is the great uncle of Kingston Fraser. He says they want to see justice. Basically, all we want is justice to be done. We, we supported Ebony. We're here to support Kingston. Uh, we want justice to take its place. And uh, that's, what we, that's what we're having. So obviously it's, it's a sad story. You know, it's not good for either family. It's, it's a bad situation. I pray for them. I'm praying for our family. We're praying for the community, the state, the city. It's just something that normally you, you just don't see happen. You got three young men. I think two of them are in school. I just can't express my feelings simply because, you know, it's a sad situation for, like I said, ourselves and their families as well. You know, we believe in God. We believe that justice is going to be done. That's why we came here to, to support Ebony and, and to see that the process take place. Byron McBride Sr. is the father of 19-year-old Byron McBride Jr. He says he's upset at how he found out what happened. 
Byron McBride Jr. is my son. I would like to thank the media for casting my son out. Y'all have put my son not under the bus. Y'all put my son up under a bulldozer. He don't have a chance. No weapon, nothing is found on my son. How can you dame my son out like this? It's wrong. I was out of town when I heard the message of my son. How can all over the world know that my son is the shooter at the second day my son is in jail? How? I want some answers. Can you tell us what he told you what happened? My son did not kill that David. Michael Guest is the district attorney for Madison and Rankin counties. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby what happened in court. All three defendants appeared by way of a videotape uh, or, or video conference today uh, in front of the judge. Uh, at, at the initial appearance, uh, they were all made aware of the charges. Uh, there was uh, one uh, defendant who had retained counsel. The other two defendants were represented by the Madison County Public Defender's Office. Uh, bond was denied for all three suspects, and a preliminary hearing has been set for June the 26th. There are three teenagers charged, two of them still in high school. Can you tell us what each person's role was allegedly in this crime? You know, at this time, uh, we're not releasing the role of, of each of the individuals involved. Uh, that information will come out at the preliminary hearing uh, on June 26th, but I believe it's more appropriate for that information to come out in a courtroom by individuals who were under oath uh, than to, to, to be released at this stage. Uh, and so I don't want to comment on the role of any of the three. Uh, you are correct. They are all three teenagers. Um, one of the teenagers is over the age of 18, so it would make him eligible for the death penalty. Uh, the other two individuals um, are only 17, uh, so um, our, our law would allow in those cases that the maximum sentence that either one of those two teenagers could receive uh, would be life in the penitentiary without the possibility of parole. This case has gained national attention now. Do you know of a motive you know, at this point, a motive is still uh, unclear. Um, you know, while that's something that we don't have to show to a jury, I think it's important that if we could piece together um, why these uh, three teenagers felt it was necessary to kill Kingston Frazier, I believe that that would be something uh, that a jury would like to know. Uh, but at this point, we're still unclear as to the motive, even though we are confident that they were uh, involved in the death uh, and caused the death uh, of this young boy. Uh, um, we, that's one thing that, that we hope that the investigation will reveal is the motive behind this killing. As a district attorney, you've probably seen some pretty bad cases. How does this one compare? Uh, this is one of the most compelling cases um, that I've uh, been a part of. Uh, Any time that you have a, a young man whose life was uh, needlessly snuffed out uh, there, uh, he is preparing. Uh, he would, if he would have lived that same day, he was preparing. Informative to MPB from first news grade. stories. So to local. have this young innocent life um, taken, uh, and, and and it was taken needlessly. Uh, there could have been a number of things that could have been done once it was determined that that child was in that vehicle um, that child in that vehicle could have been abandoned at anywhere along the way uh, and, and and that child would still be with us today uh, as a father of two children um, you know uh, it uh, it pulls on my heartstrings to know what this family must be going through to suffer the loss uh, again of a child uh, who was innocently asleep on the back seat of the car uh, at a time uh, in which that vehicle was taken 
Madison Rankin County District Attorney Michael Guest. Thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. We do appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. The next step in the capital murder case in Madison County is the preliminary hearing June 26th. Hines County District Attorney Robert Smith says more charges will be filed. Charges will be filed in Hines County. Uh, We were all waiting for accurate information on this case um, to move forward. And so today uh, there there will be several charges filed uh, in this case. We want to to, uh, uh, press all any and all charges against these individuals for this terrible, terrible crime. Based on the investigation, we will uh, work together to make sure that all charges are filed appropriately in Hines as well as in Madison. Guest also says they are coordinating with the county prosecutor and various other law enforcement agencies. Coming up, a Mississippi lawmaker is asking forgiveness for his remarks on social media. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. You count on MPB News for in-depth coverage of issues that matter to you. The state's ongoing opioid epidemic. A bill to allow guns in churches. The child welfare crisis. And the best radio newscast in the state. Those are just a few of the stories behind 10 new Associated Press Awards and another Edward R. Murrow Award. For the award-winning coverage you've come to expect, count on us. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. We are MPB News. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Republican State Representative Carl Oliver of Winona says he was wrong to call for Louisiana leaders to be lynched for removing Confederate monuments and is asking for forgiveness. He says in a statement Monday he wants to apologize to his colleagues and to the state of Mississippi. Oliver set off a wave of criticism after posting on his Facebook page Saturday night that the destruction of monuments is heinous and horrific and that Louisiana leaders should be lynched. The post remained visible well into Monday. It was written in response to the removal of three Confederate monuments in New Orleans. In the statement, Oliver says he was expressing his passion for preserving all historical monuments, but that the word lynching is never appropriate. Oliver's post drew bipartisan criticism. Governor Phil Bryant and House Speaker Philip Gunn, also Republicans, issued statements condemning Oliver's post. Speaker Gunn also addressed the post publicly. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier how he handled news of the post. I immediately reached out to my staff. We were trying to actually understand what all was, was going on. Um, as I said, I've issued a statement condemning you know, what was said. I think it's inappropriate in any context today in time. It obviously has offended quite a few people, as, as we can tell with the, the, the fallout. Reached out to uh, Representative Oliver, and um, you know he was remorseful. I called on him to issue an apology. I, I think he has now done that. Um, just, you know, trying to let people know this does not reflect the, the attitude of the leadership, especially my office. So that's what we did. And there were uh, several legislators who posted a like to his comments. Uh, what do you have to say for them? I'm only aware of two, and I reached out to both of them and made them aware of what was going on. I think neither one of them really paid attention to it. Uh, you'll have to talk to them and, and if, if you want anything further, but I let them know that, that just didn't think that was right. And I trust that they've corrected it by now. How do you deal with the aftermath of it? Right. Well, I think that's what we've tried to do through our 
press release, uh, the, the conversations like you and others that when asked, we just tell people this does not reflect the way we we roll here. And so we're trying to just respond and let people know. In terms of the special session coming up, have you been in talks with uh, Lieutenant Governor Reeves about how you're going to get this done? Oh, we've had ongoing talks, even back before the regular session ended. Uh, we talk regularly about a lot of different things, and we try to maintain good, good communications and uh, feel like we've done that. So we're going to continue the discussions. If, if we don't get anything done in the special session, we'll continue discussions for next year. You put forth a lot of ideas. Does he sound receptive to any of them? Have not been able to to verify that. I, I think uh, knowing him, he's going to take a good long look at all of them. I think he's very thorough. He he gives a lot of analysis to anything, and that's what we should do. And he may very well come back with some better ideas. He may identify a problem with the ideas that we've put forward. So that's just the nature of you know communication and trying to talk through it. But you said. Increasing the gas tax is not an option. I don't believe it is at this time. It just the votes don't exist. In terms of the conference coming up, Black Hawk is not attending. This is your first year. And as you mentioned, you have been uh, outspoken about wanting to change the flag. Your reaction to that? Well, again, I, I was disappointed. Uh, I felt I feel like the conference is a good conference, and um, they they put forward a lot of good topics and seminars, and um, I think it would be beneficial just from a legislative standpoint for anyone to attend. Uh, the conference is composed of states from West Virginia to Texas, so you'll have a lot of legislators coming. It's an opportunity for us to showcase our state. Uh, clearly was excited about all legislators attending, so I hope that they will end up supporting it. Thank you, Speaker Gunn. Thank you. Appreciate it, Desiree. Some Democrats have suggested that Representative Carl Oliver step down from his seat. Coming up in our StoryCorps segment, a conversation about teaching children to live off the land. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Ralph Siebrel and Josh Henry first met through scouting. Josh was a Boy Scout, and Ralph, who most people know as Tommy, was his mentor. During their visit to Story Corps in Mississippi, they talked about Tommy's role in youth enrichment and about a scout camp called the Mountain Man Program. The Mountain Man Program is where they go up to a, a site away from camp, and they learn to you know to kind of live on the land, uh, primitive weapon, uh, you know, axe or uh, hatchet type thing, uh, throwing. Some some camps have flintlock that they can demonstrate for them. And they, they, it's more of a primitive type camping program. I'm curious to know if you can share some stories of your interaction with young people. I know you've had a great manhunt for one kid, and you've also had some other really interesting characters. Working with teenagers, you, you learn a lot about youth and, and how they think and how they work. One that that uh, comes to mind, we were on a, just a regular weekend camping trip and a new scout in the uh, troop who was newly outfitted with new boots, new everything. A couple of the other uh, boys decided it would be really neat, you know, to uh, take his boots and, A, put hard coals in them and then hide them from him. The grilling began once... 
it, it was determined who may be the, the culprit in this situation. And uh, that process drew out for quite a little while before uh, confessions were drawn out from these, these two. The lesson I think they learned is, you know, this too could happen to you if you're not careful. One that really had a young kid come into the troop, and he was good and solid until the sun went down. And when the sun went down, the tears started rolling. Wanted to go home, tried to put him with some of the older scouts, uh, give him a little more comfort zone in there. His daddy became involved with the troop and, of course, wanted him to stay with him so he would stay in scouts and said, no, that's not going to happen. You know, if you, if you do that, you know, he'll never get over the, the nighttime away from home. That boy eventually got where he would just throw down a tarp in his sleeping bag, no tent, and camping out, got himself elected the lodge chief of the Order of the Era uh, Lodge, you know, became probably one of the more proficient campers in the troop at, at that time. And uh, I think had his dad become more involved in camping with him, letting him sleep in the tent with him, none of that would have ever occurred. And I think that's what camping and scouting is about, you know, to develop self-sufficiency in, in uh, young men. I think often when you talk about your mentors, it's easy for people talk about to talk about their wisdom and their patience, their capacity to coach or discipline, and all of those things are, are important. But oftentimes people can be dismissive of a kind of, well, almost um, some people might call it an immaturity or a juvenile um, behavior of people that, that really boils down to a kind of youthful, childlike appetite for what's next, a sense of adventure and playfulness that communicates to young people, you and I aren't so different. When you're young, you think that one day you'll grow up and you'll be an adult and you'll have figured everything out and that all sense of play and imagination and adventure will stop and you'll have figured out what it is you're going to do every day. As I've gotten older, I've found out that's not how it works at all. And I think part of our relationship and part of what helped engender trust and helped me recognize that you are someone that was on my team, was that spirit of youth that you carried with you and your capacity to play with us, to engage us at our own level. So some of these stories you tell, I know you tell them now, but, but they really do make me want to laugh because you always had a particular way of working with kids. And it was sometimes very stern, but always in a sort of playful and supportive way. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Dr. William Bynum could be the next president of Jackson State University. The Board of Trustees of the State Institutions of Higher Learning announced Bynum as the preferred candidate during a special conference on Monday. Dr. Bynum currently serves as president of Mississippi Valley State University, a position he's held since 2013. He's a native of Rocky Mount, North Carolina, who attended Davidson College also in North Carolina. He holds a doctorate from Duke University and 
and has 30 years of experience in higher education. Glenn Boyce is Commissioner of Higher Education. He tells MPB's Alexis Ware about the selection process. Well, it's a, it's a long process, okay, and it's a set by board policy. But it begins with um, the board selecting somebody the chair to search. In this case, it was Trustee Smith. Then the board has a board search committee. In this case, the entire board choose, chose to sit on this committee. And then what happens, the commissioner is responsible for ensuring that a search firm is hired, which we hired a search firm that did an excellent job. And then at that point, there is also a what they call campus search advisory committee that is appointed, and it's made up of large constituent bases, faculty, administration staff, and the public, and so on. Then from that point, once they've done their work and they give input to the board and to the search committee, then some of them are chosen to serve on the interview search advisory committee. And it's very important to note that the process is designed for each person to give independent feedback. Then there's actual interview of the top applicants, take it through the process, a preferred candidate is announced, then the candidate visit comes, and if the preferred candidate visit goes well and the board is pleased, then the board will select a candidate. What qualifications made Mr. Bynum preferred candidate? That's a great question. Let me start by telling you that I think one of the key factors was his body of work at Mississippi Valley State University. He did some amazing work there, and, uh, of course, the university is on great footing up there. And some of the things he did that were really um, caught the eye, certainly, I would think of the trustees, would be um, the enrollment increases because he's competing against seven other state institutions. And in today's higher ed competition, out-of-state schools, everybody's trying to get as many students as they can. Second thing is he's done a tremendous job with the finances of the university. He's taken their cash balances up by 47%. He's taken their days of cash up by, I guess, around 65%. In addition, during this time, he's gained enough respect amongst his peers that he's chairing uh, really significant high-level committees for the NCA and other places. When you look at his Davidson uh, degree, you look at his degree from Duke, you look at his history and where he's taught, the university he's been at, he's a pretty highly qualified candidate. There's no question about it. And I think it's very important to note, too, that he understands Mississippi. He understands the system. He understands working with his colleagues, okay? And so he really has a broad grasp of what experiences are necessary and what skill sets he's had to develop in order to be successful right here in our state. When his name was announced, there was a little bit of uproar with the alumni, a little bit of disagreement. Does that play any role in the final selection, or what can you say to that? You know, I really can't comment on that. That's each individual who's making a decision for themselves. You know, I would just say this to you. I would say that it's a very important time for alumni anytime, anytime at any stage that a new president uh, comes about at a university. It's important for everybody to give that person the greatest opportunity that they can for success because nobody comes to a university to serve as their president wanting to be a failure and wanting to do a bad job everybody comes excited everybody comes ready and everybody comes wanting to hit the ground and everybody wants to make sure that the students the staff faculty alumni are pleased with their leadership once it's all said and done and they want to look back and go yeah we all we all came together and we ended up you know doing a great job all right, and so this election process, it's a little bit cupped under wraps, secretive, one might say. So will you just tell me why that is? One theory of thought is is if you have a search where 
eventually you will be made public. So your name will be known as being public. The thought is, well, that's that's good in some ways for public betting. However, you don't get the same candidate pool because an awful lot of people would choose not to jeopardize their current positions, their current relationships, especially uh, people who have significant administrative responsibilities, so they won't enter the pool. And on the other hand, if you have a confidential search, then people recognize that I can enter that pool, okay, and I don't jeopardize my current relationships that I have on my campuses, with my alumni, with big donors, whatever the reason may be. You don't jeopardize those relationships. Those are the two thoughts, and those are what most people across the United States entertain when they decide how they want the policy to be. In this case, our board and we choose to have confidential searches so that we can build the biggest, broadest, best pool possible. All right, Glenn Boyce, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Dr. Bynum will meet with campus groups on Wednesday, May 31st. Following his visit, the board will meet to decide whether Bynum will be the next president or if the search will continue. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.